So um, we're in Matthew chapter 5. You probably already knew that because we, we kicked this series off a couple weeks ago called When, When, and we are taking from the beginning of the year to Easter to work through the Sermon on the Mount. If you've never heard of the Sermon on the Mount, it is the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus preached it, and you can read it in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. Phenomenal, power-packed sermon. I wish my sermons could be that good, right? But yeah, Jesus is just in a, he's in a whole nother league, right? Jesus is amazing. So we're taking our time. We're not rushing through. And today we're going to hit verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. So four verses. But what I need you to know before we get there is that we have, um, we've been laying a foundation, haven't we? How many of you have built a house before? Or you are um, building now? or what? I don't mean you personally have built. I would never build a house. I love my family way too much, right? I would never build a house and ask them to live in it, right? Every creek, we'd be like, oh, roof's going to fall. But we've built, we've had, we've, let me rephrase, we've paid somebody to build a house before. And how many of you know that foundation is super important, right? Now, why do I say that? Because today, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to make a change. We've, we've, the last two weeks, talked a ton about who we are, haven't we? We've talked about, like, this is who we are, and who we are affects what we do, right? Now, today, Jesus is going to change all that. He's going to make a little U-turn, and here's what he's going to do. He's going to say, we've laid the foundation of who we are in the first 12 verses of the sermon, and now, for the most part, every single thing that we talk about from now till Easter is going to be about what we do. And here's why I bring that up. I'm not sure exactly how many weeks this is. It's like maybe 15 weeks of a series. So for two weeks, we talk about who we are. And for 13 weeks, we're going to talk about what we do. And if we're not careful, you'll hear, well, the bulk of the time we talked about what we do. So what we do must be more important than who we are. But it's not. It's not. It is not. I want to be clear. It is not more important. Who we are in Christ sets us up for everything that we do. Right? So identity fuels activity. Turn to the person next to you and say, that was good, right? Identity fuels activity. We've got to see that. If we don't see that, then here's what's going to happen. We're going to get it backwards, and we're going to think that Jesus is handing us a giant checklist. And so the greatest sermon is going to become the greatest burden. And that's not what he intended at all, right? He actually is preaching a revolutionary message, and he's showing us how the church can change the culture, how the church can actually bring heaven's kingdom down on earth. And if we don't grab the fact that the identity is more important and let that fuel our activity, then I'm telling you, at the, by Easter, you're going to be like, I can never do that. I can never live that way. I can never do what Jesus called me to do. I'm telling you, yes, you can. Because he said, this is who you are. This is who we are, Right? So that's the good news. You've got to keep that at the forefront of your mind. We are different because of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Just to let me remind you what it says. You've probably heard this before. This means that anyone, that means you, anyone who belongs to Christ, not anyone who comes to church, not anyone who, tries to, who listens to Christian music, right? Anyone who belongs to Christ. So this is to Jesus' followers has become a new person. New creation in your version, probably. The old life is gone, 
a new life has begun. Right? So you and I are different because of Jesus. If you ever made a decision to let Jesus be the Lord of your life, today, you're different. Now, turn to the person next to you and say, you're different. I was just giving you permission because a lot of you have wanted to say that for a long time. You've wanted to turn to the person that you sit next to every Sunday and say, there's something a little bit off about you, right? We, we are, without a doubt, different, Right? But what it is, is we're different because our root system is different. We're plugged into different soil, and the fruit's going to be a result of that, right? Okay? That's really, really important. So this is not a, a, a sermon about duties. This is a sermon about relationship, right? In other words, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. We don't make a difference by trying to look different or by being separate. This is really, really critical because y'all know what church culture is, Right? Church culture is we make every we do everything the world does, but we put Christian in front of it, right? Now, hold on, okay? You'll still love me when I'm done, maybe. This is when we instead of playing basketball with people, we have a church basketball league. If you're in the house and you operate a church basketball league, I'm not preaching at you. Okay, I'm just saying it's a symptom of this will make a difference by not being around. And if we remove ourselves from culture, eventually they'll wonder where we went and come ask us. And how many of you know that's not true? We, if we remove ourselves from culture at some point, they're like, thank God, right? We'll get to that in a minute too. We're, we're not going to make a difference because we aren't there, right? So what Jesus is saying is you make a difference because you are different. So here's how I did it with the big idea. Two statements. We are different. You already told your neighbor that they're different, right? We are different. We're called to make a difference. So it's not going to be enough to be being different. That's identity, right? In Christ, we are different. We're new creations. We're, the old is gone, new has come. We are different. Now what do we do with it? Well, that's what we do with it. We're called to make a difference. And Jesus is going to use that model in the next four verses, okay? So Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, here we go. Jesus said, you are, an identity statement, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are, another identity statement, the, the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, verse 16, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Before we jump into those verses, i got two points for you. Let me just make this statement. I love how Jesus teaches, right? So Jesus is king of, the, king of kings, Lord of lords, right? He's the Messiah. He's God, right? Do we agree on this? Jesus is God. So because he's God, he could have picked anything to use as an example. And he picked two of the most common items in that day. And the reason why I'm saying that now is because I don't know how you feel about yourself, but I feel pretty common most days. And just in the fact that he would pick salt and light gives hope to me. 
that he uses common people, common items, common things to make amazing statements about the kingdom. It reminded me of 1 Corinthians 1.27. Here's what it says. This is my testimony verse. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish, yes, hallelujah, in order to shame those who think they are wise. He uses the foolish things of this world, to, the, some versions say, to confound the wise. So basically, people who think they're all that would look at common people like us that God uses and go, how are they pulling that off? That doesn't sound like Acts. sounds like when they said they took note that these men were ordinary men, but they'd been with Jesus, right? So take, if you're here this morning, you're like, man, I'm, I'm common. My life is common. Well, you're right where God wants you to be. You're the person he wants to use. And so here we, we're talking about salt, salt and light. What we're going to find is that Jesus follows this pattern, the same pattern twice. He's going to say this is what you are, and then this is what you're called to do, right? Who you are is more important than what you do, but who you are fuels what you do. Identity fuels activity. So he says here, you are the, the salt of the earth. You are. It's an identity statement. And it's, you, you are the salt. So here's, here's what he says. That's not enough. It's not enough to just be salt. You are the salt, but you got to be salty. Turn to the person next to you and say, be salty. And I don't mean salty like our culture says salty, because I know what that means, right? Salty, like, that's like you got a bit of an attitude, right? You're like, I don't know what's wrong with you today, but you're salty, right? Like, I don't mean that, but he's saying this. Jesus is saying, look, you are salt. And we take a lot of pride as Christians in who we are, right? Well, I am a Christian. He's like, but it's not enough just to be salt. You got to be salty. You got to do something with it. And I started thinking about, like, all the stuff that salt does. So here's a couple of things I came up with. It creates thirst. Salt makes us thirsty, right? It, it adds flavor. Some of, you, some of you love salt a lot, right? We were talking about, about Wendy's dad. Like, Wendy's dad loved salt. So, like, when we would go to visit the house, like, there were two salt shakers on the table. His and one for everybody else, right? Like, sometimes I would watch him salt bites, literally. He loved it. It adds flavor, um, this is important. It prevents muscle cramps. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night with a leg cramp? Oh, my God. That'll make you call out to Jesus, won't it? As you're punching whoever's in the bed near you, like you're, you're just grabbing things. Like your leg hurts. You don't even grab your leg. You grab people around you. It's crazy, right? Like it's, oh, God. And this, I, 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 I'm not bragging. I, I think of, I don't know why I keep doing these, but I've done four marathons, and I've done a number of ultras, right? And in every one of those marathons, somewhere around mile 22, 23, it doesn't matter how I fueled my body, I get leg cramps. And like the, the, I'm so glad nobody was around for this. The first marathon I ever ran, I mean, I'm, I feel like, I'm going to say I was running pretty well, but I was probably like just barely walking. You just feel like you're running fast, but you're barely moving. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, I mean, I couldn't even bend my knees. They were so tight from the waist to my feet. Like, I almost sat on the side and just cried like a baby. And then what, what do you do? You just start drinking Gatorade, man. You start drinking as fast as you possibly can. You, you hobble to the next aid station, stand there, just putting it down as fast as you can. And at some point, that salt starts to kick in, and your muscle starts to relax. Because that's what, that was, that's what makes your muscles cramp. Your muscles cramp because they can't relax. 
And so they seize up. And when I studied that, I was like, God, this is convicting to me. Because I'm going to ask you a question. I bet it's true about you too. Does culture relax when Christians walk in the room? I don't think so. And we wear that as a badge of honor. Well, I'm a preacher. You ought to stop cussing around me. When I walk into a room and I hear people just like being themselves, I don't want them to find out what I do. Inevitably, they do find out. And all of a sudden, they start saying words like golly. I'm like, dude, nobody says golly, right? Well, you're the preacher. Right, but God heard everything you said before I got here, right? So, so, I mean, if he's, if he's going to hear it, I'll hear it, right? It's crazy. It's just, that's just a tip of how the world just kind of seizes up around the church. And I don't know if that says more about the world or about us, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. Salt is supposed to actually help prevent that. Like sometimes I think the church is the anti-salt. And that's not how it's supposed to be. People should be able to be themselves around us as we point them to who God called them to be. Now, listen, that's good preaching. And then in between services, I had people, because that 9 o'clock service, they're smart, y'all. I mean, y'all are too probably, but you leave afterwards. But they stay and talk to me. and Like, they started telling me all these other things that salt does, right? Like, I found out during service, between services, that salt will kill poison ivy. Does anybody, can anybody bear witness to that in here? Do you know? I don't know if this is true, but I, I don't like poison ivy, so I'll probably I'll be salting myself at some point, right? And they said it just it kills the poison. And then I, I, somebody reminded me that salt it, it does kill snails. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, don't raise your hand, y'all. <laughs> Do not identify yourself as a slug murderer, right? We don't want to, we don't want to know you right now. It's so mean. I've done it. I have done it. So, you know, what is, I mean, so salt, it, it, it can purify, it can kill, it can kill, it can kill things that don't need to be there, and I think God can use us that way as well. I mean, all those are really good, and like, if you would, if you wanted to tell the people next year that I was preaching good, it's, it's true. This is good preaching. But this isn't what Jesus meant. Like, this is what we do, right? Still good preaching, but what we do is we read, well, we're salt, and we list all the things that we use salt for today. But in the world that Jesus lived and the people he talked to, they didn't use salt like that. You know why I know? They didn't have refrigerators. And so salt was used in that day as a preservative. So when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, he was saying, hey, you know how you take that salt and you, you put all of your meat and you wrap it all around your meat and then you put your meat like in, in dirt wrapped up? That salt preserves the meat and it slows down the decay. Because over time, if, if there's no refrigeration, if there's no preservatives, that meat's going to get nasty. I've got some picture proof, okay? Now, listen, i got to warn you. If you're the kind of person with a weak stomach, look directly at the screens because we want to watch you do that, okay? But this is, so this man, and I've used this a couple times in my ministry. I just love this example. This, this man, he decided to go buy these three types of meat, and the whole purpose was to put him on a plate. We'll see next. And he took that plate and he put it in the back of his neighbor's yard. And he just left it there. And he would go back every day and take pictures of it. The whole point was not to see how long meat could last, but he wanted to see how long would it take his neighbor to find it. I mean, who needs neighbors like that, right? 
I want to be that guy. But who needs neighbors like that? So you'll see this progression. What I think is interesting, you start to see how the, the meat's breaking down and getting nastier. If you hate hot dogs, you're really going to hate them after this. What's odd, though, is that the hot dogs start to disappear. So there's some dead dogs in this neighborhood somewhere, am I right? And then all the, it just all starts getting, like, becoming goop. And that pink thing, that's under, that styrofoam thing under the meat, it starts to slide off the plate and get away. This is nasty stuff. There's maggots in that. This is gross. You see that? Y'all thought that was, like, some kind of special topping. Those are maggots. That is gross. And then it grew a spatula. What in the world, right? <laughs> the point here is that without preservatives, this is what happens to meat. And so in the day that Jesus was saying, you're the salt of the earth, they knew that. They probably had seen meat like that. And when he says, you're the salt of the earth, he's like, you, you are a preservative in your culture. There is moral decay in the culture. And instead of complaining about it on social media, we're called to be salt and slow it down. And that's the point that Jesus was trying to make. That's a big deal. It's such a big deal that look what Jesus said. You're the salt of the earth. And he didn't even really talk about what we're supposed to do. He went right to what happens if we don't do it. He says, but what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Now put on your nerd scientific hat for a second. Okay, go ahead. Some of you wear it proudly anyway. Hi, I know all things, right? Here's what I learned. Salt can't lose its saltiness. Salt can't stop being salt. So Jesus isn't saying that there's some scientific way for the molecules in salt to break down in such a way that it would no longer be salt. You are salt, y'all. What he's saying is salt becomes ineffective when impurities are present. That's the way salt loses its flavor. It doesn't lose its flavor because it stops being salt. It loses its flavor because it allows all these other impurities into the salt, and that breaks down the flavor, and there's no more flavor. It's always going to be salt, but it's not always going to be effective. And what Jesus is saying is if you lose your effectiveness, what good are you? You're, you're, you're worth being trampled underfoot. And in that day, they would take salt that was no longer effective at preserving things, and guess where they would throw it? No, they would throw it. Those were all good guesses, and I'm sorry that I set you up to be wrong. They would throw it on their rooftops. Because guess what people did on rooftops? They walked, and they would trample that stuff under their foot. It was only good for that. But Jesus says, that's not what I made you for. I've made you salt so that you can preserve culture. Preserve, slow down the decay. And if you, if you allow impurities... In your life, you will lose your effectiveness. You'll have no effectiveness. We'll have no effectiveness in the culture. Because we'll be going out to culture saying things like this. Hey, Albemarle, um, God doesn't want you to do that stuff. And if you do that stuff, it's not going to be good for you. And they'll look at us and go, well, how do you know? I guess because you're doing it too. And we'll no longer be salt. We'll still be salt, but we won't be salty. And we'll have no effectiveness and so what Jesus is saying is, I want you to be useful to the kingdom. I want you in your lives to be useful. I want you to live a life in such a way that you, because you're present in the city, are actually slowing down the decay instead of posting about it. Oh, man, that was such good preaching. I know y'all are, are like, just stop. 
I can't. I'm not going to stop. Okay. So listen to this statement. Christians who become contaminated by the impurities of the world, they lose their ability to preserve or restrain anything. This next statement is powerful. They may look like Christians, but their influence for good is gone. Salt that loses its saltiness, it's still salt. It still looks white. It would look just like salt as you salt your food, right? But it's not salty. Man, Christians that are impure, they can still do the checklist things. They can still look like Christians, but there's no power. No power. It's not enough to be salt. We have to be salty. Turn to the person next to you and say, be salty. So then in verse 14, the next one, he does the same pattern again. He tells them who they are, and he kind of tells them what to do. He says, you, you are light. We are light. And then he says, but like, who lights a lamp and then puts it in a basket? So what he's saying is, you're light, but you're called to be seen. It's not enough just to be light. People have got to see it, right? You're called to be seen. He's like, nobody, nobody lights it and puts it up on, on a on a, on, under a basket, right? So I thought about things that light does. Light gives direction, doesn't it? How many campers do I have in the room? Be proud, raise your hand. I can't see you because you're, you're camouflaged. <laughs> that was awful, and yet we laughed. And yet we laughed. That was just, I know it was pity laughter. I was like, oh, Paul, you're so cute, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, you outdoorsmen, outdoors people, out, what do you say there? Outdoors I really wish you could be on the platform with me and watch Wendy. She's so fun. Okay, so here's what I said. So, like, outdoorsmen, what do you call them? And I said, do you call them outdoorsmen, out people? And she said, you just call them move on. <laughs> no, no, I know. She was telling me to move on. I know. Yeah. I, I, message received. Holy. Somebody's salty. Uh, somebody is salty right now. And it's, it's me is what it is. Um, okay. <laughs> so, so, like, you know, how many of you have a mag light? You know what I'm talking about, mag lights? Now, these are the real outdoor people, right? So um, the mag lights, they're like this big, and then you turn them on, and they're super bright, right? When I, like, if I could put sound effects to my flashlights, the ones I have, it'd be like, click, hmm. Like, there's just no light. Like, the batteries need to be, I'm the one that shakes it, hoping for a little bit of battery juice or whatever that's called. And it, but some of you, you're like, you have these things that are like that big. You click them, and, like, everything lights up. It just gives you direction. You're the person I want to be with when we're on a trail, right? Other things that, that light does, light can provide comfort. I know that y'all don't want to admit it. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I know y'all sleep with night lights, right? It's good to have a little bit of light in the house because you love your toes. And if you wake up in the middle of the night, you want to hit your toes, right? So you got a little nightlight somewhere, a little comfort. Maybe you had a long day. You don't want to go sit in a room by yourself in the dark. So you like light a candle or something, a couple candles, take a bath, whatever. It's comforting, right? It's comforting. But the number one thing that light does is it reveals. It reveals hidden things. Which sounds good. But imagine like stumbling into a dark room and then turning the light on. And finding someone in there you didn't expect. That'll freak you out, right? Light reveals things. Sometimes light will re... Sometimes, has that happened recently? Are we reliving some? Sometimes light reveals bugs, right? Like you turn the light on, all the bugs get away. Like you, you, bear, you see them for a moment and then they're gone. 
But light reveals things. And so what Jesus is saying is like, I've, I've given you, I've called you light so that you can be seen. I want you to expose things. I want your lives to reveal things. Jesus makes it clear our good works are the light. And the light reveals a father that the world doesn't see yet. The Bible actually says that the, the minds of unbelievers are blinded by the enemy. Which means you can talk to somebody about the gospel and give them every point that it makes perfect sense. And they can shake their head the whole time. And at the end you're like, so do you want to receive Jesus? And they're like, what? <sighs> Let's go through it again. You can go through it as many times as you want to. But they can't see him. They're blinded. They're blinded. And so Jesus is saying, your good works, the good things that you do as a believer, they don't earn you salvation, but they reveal the Savior. They point to Jesus, right? And so he says, do a lot of good works. Shine, get a big mag light of works and do good works all around the city so people can see the Father. Because that's what he said. They'll see the Father and they'll give him praise. The phrase good deeds in the original language, it, it means this. It means all the things that we as Christians say and do because we're Christians. So it's not really like, and Jax would love this, if I'm like, hey, Jax, I feel like I want to do, do a good deed. I'm going to give you $10, and you would like that. I don't have it. Sorry. But we would think that's a good deed, right? You, you know what the Bible would say? It's a good moment. But good deeds, when he says people will see your good deeds, he means they'll see your life, your character, your words, the whole totality of your life, the, the exciting times, the mundane times. Like, I think it's, it's interesting that Monday and mundane sound so similar, don't you? Right? Like, the, the parts of our lives that we just think are boring and like, God, I need a vacation, those parts of your life, he says, that's your good deeds, it's every part of who you are. It's not just a moment, but that's part of it. So every part of your life, God wants to shine through you onto him so that people around you would see the Father. They are practical, visible deeds of compassion. And when people see these, Jesus said they would glorify God. They embody the good news of his love that we proclaim. So listen to the statement. Without good works... Our gospel loses its credibility, and God loses his honor. Because they don't know who to give glory to. It's not enough to just be light. He actually wants you to be seen. He wants people to see the good works that we do. Now, we've got to land this plane, okay? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this is great, because when he says land the plane, he's almost done. And this was a short message. This was like a flight from Charlotte to Atlanta, short, right? Like we got up and now we're going down. But here's how I want us to land it. I want to give you, um, I like practical, I want to give you a practical example of what this salt and light could look like if we lived it out. Is that okay with you guys? Okay, punch, uh, don't punch. I'm sorry, I reverted to my youth pastor days. Tap the person on the shore next to you and say, wake up. This is going to be the best closing ever. Yeah, but you wake her up. I'll put them to sleep. You wake her up. In youth group, I would say, punch the person next to you, and they would. It was fantastic. Um, 
So y'all know that we just recently did the big give, right? Do you remember that? Okay, two people. So, so y'all know we just did the big give, right? You remember that, right? There you go. There you go. It took the, it took the 9 o'clock service three times, so y'all are so much better already, right? That's fantastic. So I wanted to give you a quick recap. In the big give, um, it was so amazing, so much more than we ever, ever expected. I kind of joked around a little bit on social media, but I said that this year, which is now last year, the big give turned into the really, 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 really big give, right? Because this year, y'all gave two and a half times more than our biggest big give ever, right? An amazing amount. It was $10,194.70. That's amazing, y'all. And, and as good as that is, and it is good that we gave, right? So here's the things that we were able to do with it. We... um. Paid 31 electric bills. We paid, bought three tanks of kerosene for a family that had no heat. We gave $500 to Habitat for Humanity, and then somewhere Habitat had somebody who would match that, so that turned into 1000 We bought a washer, a dryer, and a stove for the Esther House. We purchased six new convertible car seats for the Pregnancy Resource Center, and I don't even know what those are, but I want to drive one so badly. Don't you? Like, I don't want those boring car seats. I want a convertible car seat. Come on, y'all. And then I was the most excited about this because you know, you know that my wife has a heart for human trafficking victims. Um, we were able, the Esther House is opening a house at the end of this month specifically for victims of human trafficking. In our church, through the Big Give, we bought bunk beds, mattresses, pillows, sheets, comforters, towels, washcloths, pots, pans, silverware, dish towels, all of that. All of that. We we got to go outfit and upfit the brand new Esther house for victims of human trafficking. And that's amazing, right? Now you know I'm setting you up. You responded just like I thought you would. Just like I would expect you would. Just like we should, right? Like we're clapping about that because it's amazing. It's amazing. And as I was celebrating all that this week, here's what I felt like God told me as we were wrapping this part of this teaching up. If, if all we do is that in here and celebrate it and clap and all that stuff, if that's what we do in here, then we're being light in light. But to phrase it another way, we're over-salting our food. Because he said, that's not, I didn't call you to just be salt and light here, but out there. And so while all that's so cool, the, the best thing that happened during the Big Give is when Angela Lucas, and Angela is um, over our missions department here at the church, and so she admittedly will say that this is her favorite thing that we do, is the big give. And so she gets people that kind of help her, but usually she's the one that goes to the places that we're helping and, like, delivers the stuff. And so she said this year she went to one of the power companies, and she walked in. And um, I don't know if you're a desk person, like you work the desk and work with spreadsheets, but if you do, I guess you like it. But if it was me... Um, like by the time the day was over, I'd be like the slug, right? In that movie, Zootopia, right? I'd be like, I'm so drained. Ugh. Another search engine. Yeah, anyway, so she goes in and the person who's helping her, she's like, hey, how can I help you? And Angela said, yeah, I'm here to um, pay these power bills. And she had the list of names. And the lady was like, you're what? 
It's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay the power bills. Like our church takes up an offering at the end of every year. We call it the big give, and we take that money and we do good in the city with it. And so today, um, this year, we decided we're gonna pay power bills. And so here's the list of people from your power company, and we just want to, you know, like, if you give me the total, I'll give you the money. And the lady like said, "You're, you're kidding me. You're paying power bills." She's like, "Yeah, that's, that's what we're gonna do." And this is what she said, word for word. It's the greatest thing I've ever heard. It's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Now, I know I'm like you because you're like, do we clap for that? Because you know what? I don't. I, maybe I don't celebrate enough because what I think is it's the most normal thing I've ever heard. This is what church is supposed to be about, right? But there's a city out there that is it's foreign to them. And she said, I've never heard of this. This is the, this is what Christmas is all about. And so here's what Angela said. Angela said, the more account numbers that she looked up, and this is back to where I'd be like, another search, right? But the more she looked up account numbers, Angela said, the more that woman, the joy just grew in her as she just thought about how we were paying these power bills. And Angela said, when I finally paid the power bills and I was walking out, the entire office, everybody that worked in that office was like, excited, happy, thrilled, loved. They all knew what we were doing, and they loved what our church had done. That's the point. The point is it's not enough to be salt and light. We have to be salty, and we have to be seen, right? And that happens out there. So everything that happens in here is good, but it's got to be taken out there. And when it is, just like in that office, people will see your good deeds, and through your good deeds, Jesus said they'll see your Father. And when they see your father, they'll give him glory. Now, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong if you're here, I don't think any of the ladies that work in that office, any of the men that work in that office, I don't think any of them are here today. Am I right? Yeah. Because that wasn't the point. The point's not to build a bigger church. The point's to see the kingdom make a better city. That's the point. And so when your good works make the father visible, People see him, and they don't go, well, the gathering, you're the greatest church ever. They go, you're doing that? Like, why? Because my father, he loves these people. And they're like, I don't know if I want to go to your church, but I'd like to get to know a father like that. And that is the point. And I want to call you to that. I want to call you and charge you to be salty, to be seen, right? Like I I titled my message, Get Lit, Be Salty. I thought that was fun thought that was fun. And Sydney was like, oh, God, Dad, don't say it out loud, right? Don't say that out loud. And I just did into the microphone, and it was recorded. Are you kidding me? But, man, get lit, y'all. Be salty. Just do it out there, right? Take it out there. It'll change our city. It'll change. One of my favorite Stories came from a youth pastor called Doug. His name was Doug Fields, and he, every morning he would get his kids together and he would pray over them, his actual kids, not his youth group. And they would hold hands and pray, and he'd say, amen. And then as they were walking out the door, he would yell out, go mad. And I'd be like, what? That's weird. Go mad. And he's like, no, go make a difference. Go mad, right? Go make a difference. Like, I want to tell you this, y'all. We're going to pray, and they're going to sing a song. I think Lizzie's going to give us a quick testimony. Are you still going to do it? Yeah. And then I'm going to just like, y'all go mad. Just go mad. Go out there and go make a difference. 
Go mad today. Go tip your server 30%. Let's go crazy with it. Go mad. I, I would challenge you with this. Go to a restaurant, and you're going to be sitting in a booth, and there's going to be somebody at a booth near you, and you're going to hear them complaining with language you don't use. Or maybe you do, but don't want us to know you do. And you'll be covering your kids' ears like, ooh, it's going to feel uncomfortable to be, to be so close to the bad people. Is how we think, right? Pay their bill. Do good works. Because they'll see your father. And they'll glorify him. Go mad. Just go mad. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are thanking you that you choose to use us in this whole process of changing people and cities and cultures. We consider it an honor to be salt and light. But we're not just going to do it here. We want to take it out there. Man, we want to be salted. We want to be seen. And so I thank you that right now you've given us everything that we need to go do what we've learned. Every gift we need is, to, is, is in us through the Holy Spirit. You gave it to us when we were saved. And I pray right now you would activate it, God, ignite it. Ignite in us a passion to love people to the Father. In your name, Jesus. Amen.